back to Relic Radio Thrillers. On this week's show, we'll hear from Obsession, CBS series that aired from October of 1950 to May of 1952. 78 episodes were believed to have been created. One we'll hear today, I believe, is from early 1951. It's titled, The Case of the Living Dead. Well, I'm 
terribly sorry, but you see... What? Quite all right, Sir Richard. I'll expect you at eight. The address is 32 Creighton Lane. Yes, goodbye. Mm-hmm. I can tell by the look in your eye, Mr. Christopher, that crime is again footloose and fancy free. Darling, this sounds extraordinary. That was Sir Richard Devon. Yes, I know. And his Aunt Hepstabar just died from eating mothballs. No, she hasn't, Pat. It sounds a little more interesting than even Aunt Hepstabar. Come on, let's have dinner so we'll be through by his o'clock. Only at 8 o'clock, Sir Richard Devon arrived at our cottage. A not unusual appearing gentleman, except for premature graying hair, an exceptionally high forehead, and a pair of eyes that held a look of the most abject terror I have ever seen. For a moment, he stood before the log fire, gazing at both Pat and myself. Until finally, I said, Won't you sit down, Sir Richard? Thank you. I hope you'll accept my apologies for breaking in on you this way, but the moment I heard you were here, I... Well, you see, Mr. Christopher, Scotland Yard has refused to... Go on. Well, perhaps I shouldn't have come here at all. Perhaps you'll think of Scotland Yard thinks that I'm, well, somewhat mad. Not in the least. Please continue, Mr. Christopher. Let me ask you one question. Could you believe in a curse of an Egyptian pharaoh who died in 3000 B.C.? Could you believe that it still exists? the extent that so far it has caused the death of six men. Uh, perhaps I'd better make some coffee, Bill. You'd care for some, wouldn't you, Sir Richard? Oh, thank you. You haven't answered my question, Mr. Christopher. I make it a point never to give a snap answer to a question until I know what that question is about, Sir Richard. Well, I'll tell you what it's about. It means that Lord Robert Critchley is going to die. After he dies, then I'll die. You sound rather certain about a very morbid subject, Sir Richard. Mr. Christopher, I realize how stupid my talk must seem, but believe me, it's anything but stupid. And I come to you because if there's anyone in the world who can help now, me... Now, now, let's not place quite so much credence in my ability until it's proven, Sir Richard. You were talking about Lord Critchley. I seem to recall his name. In regard to Egyptology, isn't it? Yes. He and I are the last remaining members of the party who discovered and opened the tomb of Amen Ratep seven years ago. And Mr. Christopher, it's not so much for myself that I'm asking help. It's for him. He's far too wise a man, far too valuable to France to die like the others. Somehow, some way, his death has got to be stopped. What makes you think Lord Critchley is going to die? The rest have died, and it's now time for, for him. Mr. Christopher, will you come with me tonight and visit Lord Critchley? Well, I... Oh, please, Mr. Christopher. Very well, Sir Richard. And if you don't mind, my wife will go with me. <laughs> Bill, shh, Pat. We're in it now. We can't refuse, at least at the moment. 
Lord Roberts, may I have the pleasure of presenting Mr. and Mrs. Christopher? Uh, how do you do? How do you do? How do you do? Uh, won't you sit down, please? Uh, may I offer you some brandy? Darling? No, thanks. We've just finished dinner, Lord Roberts. I think we may deem ourselves rather fortunate, Lord Roberts, that Mr. Christopher has consented to examine our case. Mm-hmm, of course, of course. And uh, not to disparage your ability in the slightest, Mr. Christopher, I'm afraid that all an examination can reveal is a certain inexplicable fact that six men of our party have died by coincidence, and that my colleague, Sir Richard, is feeling a rather unnecessary alarm in regard to our safety. I wish you wouldn't talk like that, Lord Robert. You know as well as I do the circumstances. If I may interrupt, gentlemen, just what were the circumstances in the deaths of the six men of your party? Well, they all died suddenly and without apparent cause, and each one died in the order in which he entered the tomb of Amen Ratep. And in all cases... The examining physicians attributed the death to heart failure. In fact, it was as if Lord Robert there, standing before the fire, suddenly... Uh, Lord Robert! Oh, good God, Mr. Christopher, what happened to Lord Robert? Oh, it's horrible, Bill. Do something. Don't don't just let him lie there. Oh, somebody better call a doctor. Please, Pat. I know, Bill, but... A doctor can't do anything for Lord Robert. He's dead. (gasps) What killed him? He was perfectly all right a moment ago. This is what I told you about, Mr. Christopher. There's no escaping from it. They're always the same, the others... Alive and apparently healthy one moment and then dead. The next. Please try to control yourself, Sir Richard. Control myself against something more ancient than recorded history. Against the inevitable fact of a horrible death. And against the very obvious fact that I'm next. It's not an easy thing to watch a death such as Lord Robert Critchley's. And I must admit that it was very difficult for me to retain my equilibrium in the face of such a ghastly scene. However, when the police had been notified and the coroner's verdict returned with a cursory notation of heart attack, I secured permission to again examine the body of Lord Robert at the village morgue. Oh, for goodness sake. This was to be our honeymoon, and now all this. Fine place to spend it in some damp, gloomy morgue that reeks of antiseptic. Darling, I told you to stay at the house. What? That you solve all the crimes by yourself? should say not. Well, where's the attendant, or has he given up the ghost, too? Darling, your powers of observation would certainly earn the ridicule of Mr. Sherlock Holmes. There's a sign there that says... Oh, yes, for attendant, ring the bell. Bill, have any ideas yet? Well, not the slightest, yet. Well, I've always said these English murder mysteries can be very difficult at times. Yes? Is there something I could do for you, sir? Oh, my name's Christopher. I'd like to examine the body of Lord Critchley. Here's a pass in the constabulary. Oh. All right, sir. If you'll come this way, please. You'd better wait here, darling. Oh, no, you don't. I'm going with you. I'm not afraid of the dead. It's the living that worries me. Well, all right. This is the slab, sir. The embalmers ain't started in yet. It's just the way they brought him in. Good. You know, Pat, I don't even know why I'm making this second examination. I don't see how I could have possibly missed anything the first time, and yet... Bill. Hmm? Did you notice this ring on his right hand? Ring? Well, look, there's no setting in it. Just a beaten silver mounting. That's odd, Pat. Did Lord Critchley be wearing a ring with no setting in it? It's a... Wait a minute. What? This is no ordinary mounting. This is something out of the ancient ancient... This is Egyptian, Pat. And that empty socket is just the right size to contain a scarab. Well? 
I've got no reason to think anything, Pat, but I've got a hunch. We're going to take this ring. Oh, uh, if any of the inspectors should ask about this ring, tell them that I took it, will you? All right, sir. But you know, that's a strange thing. Why? What's strange about it? Well, right after they brought him in, sir, there was a chap came here, and he was asking about that ring. But I wouldn't let him touch it, sir. He wasn't no policeman. What did this chap look like? Well, he was a sort of a foreign-looking bloke, sir. With a lot of wrinkles in his face. But blimey, he didn't look to be over 35, he didn't. Sort of gave me a chill up and down my spine, he did. Somehow he looked more dead than some of them we got here. If you'll excuse me, sir. Yes, of course. And did this chap say what his name was? No, sir. He just went away again, he did. Well, Pat, one mystery adds to another. Maybe my hunch was right. Maybe this ring has got something to do with it. Now, oh, come on, darling. Let's go back and see Sir Richard. Returning now to the case of the living death, starring Elliot Lewis. When the night falls like a curtain of shroud, when the wind is cold and keen, when the fog creeps in on cat's feet, and when the small, still voice of the mind repeats, here only death is the murderer, then do you believe you are possessed by an old-fashioned, the incredible Mr. Christopher and his wife Patricia have left their footsteps echoing in the cold marble of the morgue and have returned to the residence of Sir Richard Devon. In keeping with this ghastly business, the pile of fog swirls about in the slow dance of macabre, its vaporous searching fingers probing through sill and jam, wrapping the living with a constricting chill of death. In the study of Sir Richard, the man himself sits facing the incredible Mr. Christopher, his eyes reflecting the terror that lurks there. The beads of perspiration cutting furrows like canyons through the bleak rising mountains of a horrifying obsession. Sir Richard, I quite realize how you must feel about all this gruesome business. But if you don't mind, I'd like to ask you a few questions. Yes, of course, but... First, perhaps I might have some coffee brought in. Oh, I think that'd be delightful. If you're sure it won't be any bother. No, not in the least. Sir Richard, I think the only way we can get anywhere with this case is to start at the very beginning. You see, I place very little credence in superstition. And I've always held the belief that a curse is quite incapable of committing a murder. Unless that curse is backed up with something or someone rather tangible. You rang for me, Effendi. Oh, excuse me, Mr. Christopher. We'd like some uh, coffee, Adam said, right away. It is your will, Effendi. It shall be thus. Now, uh, as you were saying, Mr. Christopher... Wait a minute, Sir Richard. Who is that man? A servant. His name is Adam Said. Egyptian? Yes, quite. And in fact, he's a most unusual person. Like something out of the ages, in a way. I quite agree with you. What do you mean by that, Sir Richard? Oh, I didn't mean that literally, Mr. Christopher. What I meant was in regard to his personality, his habits, and in a measure, his speech. Please continue, Sir Richard. Oh, if you're thinking Adam said might have any connection... I'm not thinking anything at all. I'm merely curious about the fellow. 
Well, several months ago, he came into the employ of Lord Robert Critchley, when Lord Robert advertised for an assistant first in the fundamentals of Egyptology. When Lord Robert had no further need for his assistance, I placed him in my employ. And I must say that the chap's extremely well-versed in the ancient Egypt. In fact, in some curious way, he uses certain phrases that have been dead in Egypt for a thousand years. Well, if they've been dead for a thousand years, Sir Richard, how would this man know them? Well, that's a bit of a mystery to me, Mrs. Christopher. I, I've questioned him several times, but he doesn't seem to know anything about it. I've never seen a person look quite like that man. I mean... So apparently young, and that's so terribly wrinkled. Probably from squinting at the sun too much in the desert. But now, you were approaching some questions, Mr. Christopher. Yes, if you don't mind. You've stated that this succession of deaths has come about as a result of a curse. If you will, Sir Richard, I wish you'd tell us the complete story right from the beginning. Well, it's rather a long story, but I should say you'll find it extremely interesting. I'm certain of that. Well, seven years ago, our party of Egyptologists from the Royal Academy were doing some excavating in the vicinity of El Balbira in the Valley of the Kings. And one late afternoon, after we'd broken through quite a layer of sand. Oh, oh, Lord Hayward, Hayward! Yes, Richard. Look! Good Lord, Christmas! Well, gentlemen, it would appear that the fates have been kind to us. I believe that's it. Are you certain? No, no, not positive, but... Let's have a look at the seal. Have the men clear away the right-hand side of the boat door, Richard. Right you are. Fire it, Pike, and fire it on out of fire. Why, the Lord, Harry, if this turns out to be what we've been hoping for, it'll be the greatest sign that's ever been made. Well, let's not bolster up too high yet until we're sure. The seal is clear now, Lord Hayward. Splendid. Let's have a look. Uh, will you decipher Christmas? Right, right. Uh, pass me the Mandarin rule, will you? Uh, yes, here you are. Uh, thanks. Amotic, uh, Siram, Ka, Aro, Amenratet. Amenratet? Actually, we followed. Amenratet, at least 3,000 years before Christ. Uh, bring a mallet, Richard. We'll open the seal. Finally, as the seal was broken, the great stone slab that covered the entrance of the tomb was rolled back. And in single file, our party entered the vaults of Amen Rakhet. Lord Hayworth first, then Dr. Philip Heath, Sir Reginald Carstairs, Dr. Gerald Clayton, the chemist, Lord Robert Critchley, and myself last. And as we entered the inner chambers, we were stopped by a very strange and weird sight. A sarcophagus without a headpiece, permitting us to see the unwrapped face of a mummy, perfectly preserved, even to the detail of its eyes, which were open and apparently staring at us. Good Lord, Hayward. Look at that thing. What do you make of it? I don't know. Uh, I've never seen a mummy so perfectly preserved. Uh, the beggar positively looks alive. Uh, Richard, can you decipher the inscription of the sarcophagus? Well, I can try it, sir. Will you hold the mandarin rule, Doctor? Certainly. I don't know it. Wait a minute. Yes, I, I think I can get it. It's in calligraphics, and it reads, Death will come on swift wings to him who defileth the tomb of a parent. Lord Hayward and the rest smiled at that ancient warning of Amenratet. But that smile changed to a look of horror when upon opening the sarcophagus of the Egyptian king, Lord Hayward suddenly gasped and fell across the mountain's head. Since then, Mr. Christopher, our party has been wiped out, as I stated, 
and the order of our entrance into that tomb. And each has died suddenly and without any recognizable cause. I am next. Sir Richard, may I interrupt to ask about that ring you're wearing? You mean the scarab, of course. Yes. Why, it was given to me by Adam Said, my servant. Why? You don't mind my asking, what was the occasion of the gift? I mean, for what reason did Adam Said give it to you? I don't know, and it's a token of friendship, I guess. Are you quite sure, Sir Richard, that you've never seen this Adam Said before he came into the employ of Lord Robert? Well, that's a bit of a mystery in itself, Mr. Christopher. Both Lord Robert and I thought we'd seen him somewhere before. Possibly in Egypt. But then, it was possibly only a resemblance to someone else. You see, yes, I... That scarab in the ring, it's moving. What? Look, it's on its... It's on its wrist, it's what? moving. Good Lord, brush it off quickly. Mr. Christopher, I... Oh! Wait, hand me that ass I've got to catch that. Oh, yeah, Bill, be careful. There. Now oh. we get so rich it... Well, he was right, Pat. He was next. Oh, Bill, what in heaven's name? Wait a minute, Pat. I think we'll have a few words with his honor, Aram said, about certain tokens of friendship that he's been handing around. You rang for me, Effendi? Yes, I did. It would seem that your master has had a slight accident. Would you know anything about it? Of course, Effendi. I would know everything about it. I have been waiting for the accident to occur. You've been waiting? The beetle scarab you imprisoned beneath the tree. It is quite dead now, Effendi. It stings but once, and then it is no more. Keep talking, Adam said. The scarab, Effendi, was the seal of the pharaoh, Amanratat. And his name did I give the living scarab to each of the Effendis who entered his tomb. There shall be no more. Then you admit... I admit everything, Effendi. The living beetle was placed in the silver mounting to awake when the effect of a certain drug was dispersed. And then, of course, the obvious conclusion. You're a very cooperative person, Aram said. Now, if you don't mind, you're under arrest. We'll go down and have a little talk with the police. I think not, Defendi. What? In your language, the word arrest, I believe, means imprisonment. I have been imprisoned for a long time. But now I am free. Behold, Defendi. I am as free as my king. Bill, what is he? Oh, Isis, creator of all. Behold a pilgrim weary of his pilgrimage. Take me unto thy breast and deliver me unto my king, Amamrathat. Thou art my master and I am thy slave, Sarudamaran.
Neither Pat nor I will light three cigarettes on one match. Radio Thrillers this week. I'll be back next Friday with a new one. In between now and then, you can find more from Obsession, this podcast, all the other Relic Radio shows, thousands of old-time radio episodes to listen to, all at relicradio.com. Don't forget, if you'd like to help support this and all of the shows, help keep them coming every week as you have for 15 years, visit donate.relicradio.com or click on one of the links on the website. Thanks again to those who have. Thanks for joining me today. Be back next Friday with another episode of Relic Radio Thrillers. Thank you.